0: Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by...
1: It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank.
0: Hi, Peter. How are you doing?
1: Uh, doing very well, yes. The rain, it was, has been torrential rain in Scotland for the past few days. and It, one of the it was bills... torrential
0: in Yorkshire as well.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I, I think a house on, up in Prestonpans got hit by lightning and then caught fire near where one of my friends lives. Oh my goodness, okay. That's pretty apocalyptic.
0: Yeah, that is. The cycle ends and <laughs> the world ends
1: with it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I'm back from holiday. I've had a week off, which has been great, but it's great to be back in the saddle and doing another episode.
1: Yeah, it is. It feels like it's been a little while since we recorded. recorded.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. It's always the way when I do a think on your feet that we don't get to record together. Miss you, buddy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And... The other exciting Arkham news is um, we managed to sneak in a cheeky 12-player Labyrinths this week. Oh, did you? It was really good fun. So who were you playing and how did you get on? I was uh, Father Matteo. Yeah. I was playing... I took the opportunity... It's nice with standalones to take the opportunity to play the kind of deck you, you aren't maybe sure of and would love to try without committing to a campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I played like a Chaos Bag delving uh, Matteo. So he used Olive McBride and Sixth Sense and Wither and Ritual Candles and all that kind of stuff, all jammed together in one deck. You're
0: sort of embracing diving into the chaos bag and hitting those special symbols and things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was was bonkers. He did what I meant meant him to do very well. Sort of unsure how much he helped the overall group. Mm. But maybe that's because he wasn't really he wasn't excelling at any one thing he was okay at a lot of things
0: i feel like that's slightly what mateo can be like that you don't do you remember we used to say this about jim as well you don't see the effect he's having because he's just kind of being generally okay but yeah not like it's not like looking at a guardian with a big gun where they're just melting any enemy that appears and you think oh well they're really good at that yeah it's sort of like they're just you're not a, you're not a drag on the team, but you're not creating those amazing stories.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in fact, he helped us win with uh, two Elder Signs on double or nothing uh, attacks towards the end of the game. Yeah.
0: So when you need it and that but were they were for other people's attacks, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I even managed to use Eldritch Inspiration effectively. Wow. OK. I withered a three health enemy to death with one shot. Oh, nice. Well, okay. Wither 4, level 4. Yeah. Uh, just to save save that last action.
0: Okay. So this is off the back of our conversations about Wither and maybe trying out a Mateo deck where you want to double up on all the nasty tokens. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 I, I was unconvinced by Wither 4 overall, but I think there's, there's legs to the deck. I, I don't know whether maybe something like Shards of the Void would fit in better.
0: Mm, okay, yeah, take some zeros out of the bag, hit those other tokens. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> it makes me think as well that with the next cycle coming up, Dream Eaters, the there's going to be two four-part campaigns, or you can play it as one eight-part campaign. And I think that is so appealing for exactly what you started by saying, which is that idea of you want to try out a deck, but you maybe don't have the time to commit to an an eight scenario campaign and having something of a different you know an intermediate length would be so welcome yeah for, for sort of trying out fun ideas
1: at one point i sent you a picture of it actually i managed to draw the, the skulls in the labyrinths make you they're a minus one and then you draw another token
0: mm-hmm.
1: so i drew two skulls a cultist a minus one and a plus one because i'd used olive yeah and totaling it all up that was plus one because <laughs> each of the skulls come out as plus one Like the this, this skulls Because, because I, you were running ritual candles I, This is the important detail Yes, <laughs> I got two ritual candles out pretty early And at that point, everyone else was like Oh, skull, that's one of the worst ones we can draw Because it's another token I was like, ah, oh, excellent skull, that's a plus one And I get to draw another token <laughs> It's like... That's ro- really nice. It's like yeah. the rolling plus one in... Uh, yes, yeah, in, in Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, oh, plus one, and I get to draw again? I'll take it. I hope yeah. it's another skull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That's really
1: good. Yeah. We had a conversation at the table, actually, when Ritual Candles came out. People liked it initially. I was like, oh, it'd be great in gym. And then when you run the maths on it, it's it's uninspiring. Mm-hmm. But now we look at it and we're like, maybe this should have been once a turn. <laughs> Yeah, because it's any time, isn't it? Yeah, it just keeps it's going. Not exhaust. Yeah, and if you've got two in play, I, it uses up a hand slot, which is not mm-hmm. um, not something to be ignored. But you, you can think to yourself, yeah, this this could have exhausted after it has been used in this deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: but that's but that's nice. That's you want to see cards that, broadly speaking, have been panned, finding a home where you go, wow, this is really strong. This should have been not to this power level. Yeah. And that's that's why when, when, when Milan was, was mutated, no one said, oh, but it was only one specific deck type where he was so good. Everyone was saying, you know, his his utility and strength was apparent to everyone.
1: Yeah. I, and I even, I, I was doing some maths, I sent this to you with Recall the Strength as well. And those cards all kind of interact. Sorry, recall the future. Recall. Did I say Recall the Strength? Yeah. Recall the Wednesday. future. <laughs> These cards all overlap and interact in, in really cool ways. mm one of the holes in Recall the Future is that it only boosts... So say there's minus twos in the bag, but some of the minus twos are special tokens. Mm-hmm. It only boosts a specific one you pick. Yeah. But if you combine that with Ritual Candles, you use the Recall the Future for the numeric tokens. And the candles handle the special tokens. So you, okay, you yeah, improve the whole bag with those, mm-hmm. those two cards. And, and you can have two of both. Mm, Yeah, that's nice. This is like having your own Key of Yeast that has only cost four XP. (laughs) And four cards that you've got down. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) It,
0: It reminds me as well, this is sort of slightly tangential, but nonetheless apparent. I think the most important thing to do whenever you play any kind of seal or token manipulation style is to say, I'm helping whenever someone passes a test where they've not seen a token because you've helped them not see it. Yeah. I think it's really important to rub your teammates' faces in in the uh, sort of <laughs> passive boost that you're having. I went to a, a Guardian's invocation event where that joke got old really quickly. It was me playing Norman, sealing tokens. like Particularly if you've sealed the of the tentacle, every time someone takes a test, you stop them auto-failing. Yeah, ab- absolutely.
1: So, yeah, So every single successful test in the game is down to you.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, you haven't committed
0: any cards. You haven't, you know, done anything else to help, but in fact you've done the most important
1: thing. You've played Seal of the Seventh side. Yeah, exactly. And sat in the corner. And that's that's helping. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to resign,
0: everyone would be in a worse place. Exactly, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Credit where credit's due. And yeah. all of it is due to Norman. Okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned that you've been to an event, because one of the things we wanted to talk about in this, this episode, and listener, you've probably realised, we're having a slightly more uh, wide-ranging discussion this episode, is we wanted to talk a little bit about events, but really about the kinds of players that come to events. Is that a fair starting point?
1: Yeah, I think so. Should we just give a brief background why we why we're talking about this? Yeah. So... We organised a big Arkham event earlier this year, uh, Arkham in Flames, which Mm -hmm. was really good fun. Hopefully everyone who came had a good time as well. But one of the difficulties with organising the event is, and we spotted this more when we did things at the Expo as well, is providing events which everyone who plays Arkham is going to get something out of, or there is something appealing at that event for everyone who comes.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: one of the things that's been driven home to me recording the podcast and speaking to to fans of the game is how broad the appeal is there's such a a breadth of players who enjoy this game and they all like slightly different things Mm. would you agree with that frank i would yeah i
0: think that's a a really important thing to acknowledge because i think when it's just two guys organizing events we try and think what would be good for us
1: Yes. And that's been our philosophy doing the podcast and everything we've done really is do the kind of thing that we would enjoy. And
0: I don't really want to compromise that on that
1: to a certain extent,
0: because I think that's part of what gives the cast and gives the events we do their inherent value. We've thought carefully about them and tried to, you know, tried to pick something we'd like rather than picking something that we don't think would be fun, but we think is a cash grab or (laughs) we think we could like, you know, um, lay on some loot that we can overcharge for or whatever it is, you know, there's lots of... I've always
1: called you Uncompromising Frank, haven't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, but...
0: you never have, but I hope <laughs> that you will forever. <laughs> for, forever, or oh, that would be great, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I suppose that there's like, there's a few, I'm going a step further now and thinking there's a few kind of hiccups that come with wanting to play a certain way and with... Expecting other people to play that way, and to a certain extent, it's not just us; it's also uh, FFG and what invocation events are like. That they're not necessarily designed to cater for everyone. Yeah, they're designed to give a starting point for holding events, but not more than that. And really, they rely on players to make them into what they want them to be.
1: It's it's a it's a difficult problem, and you can't push Arkham in its all its weird shape into a whole really that one event fits the whole the whole player base. It just it just is impossible as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. A, a single game type isn't gonna match everyone's expectations for what they want from the game.
0: Yeah, and just off the top of my head then I'm thinking of there's the fun of deck building and the planning that goes into building your team. There's the fun of upgrading a deck as you play. There's the fun of a campaign and playing over a series of sessions. There's the fun of getting really immersed in a story and making meaningful decisions. Then there's the fun of when you're playing and there's like a really naughty, challenging, tactical decision you need to make. There's the fun of triumphing and sort of smashing the game. There's the fun of losing as well, of really, you know, fighting against the odds and maybe Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory in a satisfying way. You know, we have had those games where you get beaten and you think that was amazing. Came down to the last token pull or whatever it was. So yeah, there's a lot. That's a lot of different things. Yeah. Just quickly, that are hard to shove into one event. Yeah.
1: It, it just it, as a very brief brief aside. You often find your memorable moments come irrelevant of <laughs> whether you've won or not. I l- I love to use the example of Outer Rim. Which we played mm, quite. A, we played a yeah. couple of times at the expo, and I've played a few more times since. I think you have as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's always a memorable moment in those games, but you can often not remember whether you won the game or not.
0: Yeah, it's off. The person who's winning has been playing a, a steady game and accumulating fame, and not normally doing the trick play or the
1: <laughs> whatever else it is. Or well, sometimes they have. You know, it, it's just fun, and those stories are what you remember about it. Mm, yeah, FFG have touched on. This idea of the types of player who play the game in the past. There was an article that went up a long time ago, was it as the game yeah. was coming out? It was Or into the first in, cycle. It was, it,
0: yeah, it was six months into the game being out. I think it was May the twenty third, twenty seventeen. You think it I was? To, yeah. If I had to to, to guess uh, okay. I would guess that date.
1: Yeah. Well, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna counter that. Um I'm gonna <laughs> agree with you. That's when it was. Yeah. Yeah. And and they talked about different types. It was more how you build decks and play those decks, right? Mm, and how you spend experience. I think, how you spend really
0: experience, that's thing. right, yes. So they had these four different upgrade styles, opportunist, strategist, ritualist, and collector. And I think if you want to read that article, maybe if you're new to the game and didn't see it at the time, or you've forgotten it, I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can check it out. And um, We're not really going to explore what those meant but that idea of having categories for different play styles or upgrading styles we have been a little bit inspired by with what we want to talk about next
1: the other thing we've been thinking about i don't know how familiar you are with this frank is magic has player types Mm -hmm. there's timmy johnny and spike yeah and then spike is the only bit i would be able to say yeah and then there's there was two sort of orthogonal orthogonal ones which were Uh, Melvin and Vorthos. And they're interesting. I I would recommend reading up on those if if you haven't. A lot of people are are unaware of of what those types of player are. Mm. And what do you mean by orthogonal, as in are the first three on a spectrum? So the first three, Timmy, Johnny and Spike, are are typically how players, what kind of cards they like broadly. So I think it's Mm -hmm. Timmy's the power gamer... Spike is the tournament player, and Johnny's the combo player, I think. And then your the the Melvin, I think it's Mel actually, because it, it's uh, Melanie or Melvin and Vorthos are whether you prefer neat mechanics or neat flavour. Uh, okay. So you might have a card which mechanically reflects a flavour very well, or it might just have an elegant mechanic on it. So those would be the mm. two types, types of cards those, those players enjoy. Right. I so th- I won't go into detail in any of these. You can read a lot about them if you just search for mm. Timmy, Spike, and Johnny. There's been reams and reams of writing written about them. But mm. th- the way they're used by the design department at Magic, who are obviously probably one of the biggest funded and most successful collectible card games. Yeah, I mean the most successful, right? Yeah, Unless... maybe Pokemon, I don't Pokemon, don't know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. The way they're used is to make sure they've got a balance of cards that appeal to those players. So they haven't got a pure Timmy set, you know, because then they put off the other types of player. I don't know whether they have what they think is a proportion of those cards that they have to produce, whether it's in equal quantities or what.
0: This is raising a really interesting... Point for me around one of the things that we, it's almost become a drawn to the flame cliche that idea that every cycle will have at least one card for each investigator and treating the investigator as the prime influence on deck building rather than your play style or what you want to do. It's letting, you know, I'm playing as Rex, so I'm going to make sure I can boost my intellect high enough. I'm going to really play into Rex's play style before I think about what kind of a player I am. That's what I do. And as a result, we've not really talked about the kind of players people are, and we've not talked about cards that come out in terms of like, oh, well, this card will really appeal to those players who love building a complicated engine or for the, those players who love efficiency or whatever else it is. You know, maybe those conversations are happening behind the scenes at FFG, but certainly we've not been talking about it in those terms, have we? No, we
1: haven't. We haven't, and it's, it's maybe something we could we could talk about one day. Mm. Yeah. However, these the way what we did was we thought about the types of players who come to events. (laughs) Yeah. And even if those players in their idealized idealized form don't exist, it will help us balance events in order to provide the best, best experience for everyone. Is that fair to say? Yeah,
0: I think so. And I think it comes with the caveat that not all players of the game will necessarily come to events. Yes. And not, you know, not forgetting those people who so far events haven't appealed for them because they've not covered the sort of thing that they get out of the game, you know, not wanting to neglect those players. Um, So I suppose we need to work out what types of events there are before we can work out the types of players who come to those types of events. And I thought neatly we could break it down into three just based off our experiences at the Expo and at Arkham and Flames. So you've got something like Labyrinths, which is epic multiplayer so it's an experience you can't normally get within your local play group unless you have a particularly large local play group yeah and the event is really catering for that event style scenario that epic feel that you couldn't get anywhere else and and the
1: blob will certainly fit into that category as well and then
0: yeah the blob it looks like matt's taken the lessons from Labyrinth and and thrown away some of the restrictions so you can play with as many players as you want
1: yes The worst thing about organizing Labyrinths is when you're sitting in the kind of 15 players hole Mm. and you have, you've got too many for one, but not enough for two.
0: Yeah. And when I did my Labyrinths events pre Arkham and Flames, because I actually ran four or five Labyrinths events, I, I gated tickets at 12 or 24 or 36, and I would wait and see if the wait list was getting high enough to then add another 12, Yeah, because there's just, there's no point in running a... Sixteen-person labyrinths, really. Um, it's just—it's not very fair unless unless you do, you know, teams of two or something like that. And that's yeah.
1: And it just doesn't—it doesn't sing at those lower player counts, I don't think.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just a different a different challenge, you know. And
1: if the way you've advertised your event is about
0: epic experience and three teams of four, and you turn up and it's three teams of two, it's not—you know miss selling at that point. So yeah, that was the first type, the kind of epic event scenario. Second type I thought of was the way we ran Guardians of the Abyss. So running a, a big kind of meaty scenario, but where we ran it, where your actions had consequences and the results of the first scenario were tabulated and fed into the second scenario. Yes. Uh, so that that's sort of maybe appealing a little bit to those people where they want... It's not about just turn up, do as well as you can and leave. It's where your actions have consequences to a certain extent. So maybe feeding slightly into the story and the narrative aspect of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The third type was uh, we ran Depths of Yoth, How Low Can You Go? as a real challenge style scenario, really about testing people on its kind of... uh, mechanically challenging and and how well can they build a team of decks to take on a scenario that's just going to completely punish them yeah so that was my three i think the more that you can think of i'm I'm not sure
1: no and it's worth mentioning there's usually a social aspect to the events as well
0: yeah yeah
1: so there'll be the actual gaming, but usually there's, you know, mingling with other Arkham players. There's We were very keen when we did Arkham and Flames for there to be a, like an evening bit as well. Yes. So yeah. people who go to the pub and, and decompress and talk about the games and, and maybe just have a bit of Arkham-related fun. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah. In, and a, in a casual to environment. Be fair as well, we did try and add the social element to some of the Arkham with the hot seating idea, a way of meeting new players but not committing to necessarily a long playtime together. And I know that the Oxford Arkham Group have run at least two, if not three, hot-seating days where they've taken that idea and run with it. So over the course of a day, you play two or three scenarios, but certain players on the tables move. So you get to meet other players and your team is kind of being shaken up scenario to scenario. I'd
1: love to read something or or, or listen to something from one of the folks who's been organising that. Just to get their mm. experience in, in in how best to run it, because it's. I think we we did a good crack at it at Arkham and Flames, but it didn't quite. It, we didn't follow through on the whole thing, so we we ended up with people. It was split over two days, which didn't work mm. work too yeah. well. But they sound like they've they've nailed the formula now, so I'd be really interested to speak to them about it. Yeah. And it
0: turned out that there are actually quite a lot of things to iron out, such as, you know, what do you do with XP if you've played on the table where you've got 11 and you move to a table that's only got three? Yeah. And what do you do about story assets as well? You Say you're playing... We, the last time I was there, we played the first three scenarios of Forgotten Age. Oh, yeah. So what do you do about supplies? Yeah, yeah,
1: you yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I took a blanket for my team because... You know, they, they said, I should take the blanket. And now that's useless in scenario two, or whatever it is. Yeah. Or you end
1: up with three people with matches. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's, 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 games, have, yes. have you, have you brought the matches? No, I've got a blanket as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Unload your packs. What have you all got? Wow. Yeah. And it, interestingly, it, it introduced an element of, I'd say slight selfishness where particularly if you're a player, you know you're going to leave the table, you'd maybe say, well, I definitely want provisions because I don't want to start the next scenario on lower resources. Mm-hmm. So that immediately sort of changes the the dynamic of what you're doing. You're not in it necessarily as a team saying, well, you know, I can cover you if you're broke early on because you don't know who's going to be there to cover you or things like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a really nice setup and it was nice to play three scenarios. It was almost like looping back to what you said about playing Mateo it was a mini campaign you get some xp but not you know it's not committing to an eight scenario campaign which i thought was a nice element i think you need a day for it though just as a as an aside i think if we were wanted to try that again they do three scenarios between about midday and 6 yeah yeah maybe maybe 11 and 6 something like that so it is actually properly a day it's not a half day
1: yeah Okay. Well, sh- should we go into what we've split up as the player types then?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah.
1: Without further further ado, we, we nail down three broad types. Then, and we we name them after appropriate ARCO investigators. Uh, should yeah. we read the names first, and-, and then people can speculate as we start to go through them what they might be?
0: Yeah, and we should like emphasize that this is just, you know, our way of identifying some of the broad aspects of the game.
1: What we're not saying is that people are one of these types, and that's it. What we're saying yeah. is, amongst Arkham players, there are people who prefer these, who lean in these types. Exactly. Right? Yes, and no, no one's no one's exclusive, and people will be a combination of all three in differing quantities. Mm. It's just, it's really, as 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 we've said, a tool to help us organize better events. Mm.
0: Yeah. Or yeah. If... So so yeah, and maybe to help you organize better events as well, if you listener are planning a get-together, something to think
1: about. So what are the names? Okay, so the names are uh, the Calvin, the Daisy, and the Leo. Yes. Yeah? (laughs) Should we go through them in order? Yeah. So to uh, us, the Calvin is the challenge player who likes the intellectual challenge of playing the game and is more likely to want to optimise their decks, maybe prefer like an intergroup challenge, yeah, potentially enjoys overachieving, uh, or, or or you know a, what you might call like a crushing victory. Really likes to demonstrate the strength of what they've done.
0: Yeah, take the adversity of the scenario and turn that into some kind of strength. Yeah.
1: So, a, a typical, I guess, the depths of Yoth is a is a good example of the kind of event this player might enjoy. Is mm. that yeah. needs your tuned deck. It's it's not necessarily the most flavourful scenario, uh, but it needs a good team working together and it needs coordination in terms of what decks you're bringing um, in order to get down as far as you can.
0: Yeah, and it, it presents a kind of strategy problem that with the right care and thought, the Calvin player can crack and crack sort of smashingly. Yes. Crushing victory, as you say. Okay, yeah. There's it. a
1: certain irony in picking Calvin for this because people <laughs> might argue Calvin isn't the best tuned for, for an optimized run, but he certainly, yeah. he's certainly a challenge.
0: Well, I'll wait until you've got your double five of pentacles, all your stats at Calvin seven. Calvin on a stat line of seven, 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 seven. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, then we'll see.
1: Okay, the second is uh, the Daisy. So yeah. she's the librarian. She likes books. She likes stories. This is the narrative player. Yeah. So the kind of player who would in, really enjoys the narrative experience of the game, to an extent, is less worried about the outcome uh, and is more interested in, in an interesting narrative experience, is maybe more likely to have made thematic decks rather than decks which are, which are necessarily truly optimized. Yeah This player might yeah. also like maybe a new scenario or a new narrative experience at an event.
0: Mm, yes yeah turning up to play labyrinths for the first time and really getting immersed in the story and trying to work out what's going on and yeah
1: that kind of thing doing the silly voices as you read the flavor text things like that maybe that's just me (laughs) and then finally we have the leo uh what does leo love more than anything else frank
0: mitch allies
1: (laughs) allies it's allies it's not (laughs) Mitch. he hates mitch (laughs) and mitch hates him That's right. It's allies. So uh, the Leo really likes the community aspect of the game, enjoys playing with new players, enjoys playing in events that they wouldn't be able to play in otherwise, Uh, might even enjoy, I think there's maybe some overlap with the daisy here, but might enjoy the experiences around the game, things like cosplay and the social events as much yeah, as...
0: their game accessories as well. Yeah, that's right. Laying out their mat and they've got all the different tokens and things like that, yeah.
1: So th- those were our broad three types. Where do you think you sit, mm. Frank, as a question for you?
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's a really good question because as you were talking about Daisy, it reminded me of that experience. I've related it already at the expo when I was demoing the game and the Daisy player threw a knife that killed the ghoul priest. Yeah, And I thought... Narratively, that was phenomenal. So I felt like that reminded me of how much I enjoy those mad story moments. But then, I, you know, I I think I'm probably a, a Calvin as well in that I derive a lot of enjoyment about thinking very carefully about decks or about scenarios. Yeah, thinking on your feet. And how to crack them. Yeah, thinking on my feet, exactly. And while I was on holiday, I played an Peat deck all the way through Circle Undone and got defeated in Before the Black Throne. And one of the feelings I had after that was that it wasn't disappointment, but it was a feeling of I've not really got to grips of what I need to do to beat this scenario mm. and what my deck needs to look like by the by the point it reaches scenario eight so that I can really take the scenario by the horns and bend it to my will. <laughs> so I did have this feeling, it's like a slightly sort of steely feeling around Next time I play this I'm going to make sure that I don't have this feeling of defeat <laughs> which <If> everyone <we> <laughs> yeah, has I shared with you you won't get me but again. Yeah. So yeah, I sort of I cut my hand, I dripped blood uh, <laughs> onto the cards. I've promised myself, I've made I took an oath. And so yeah, there's definitely that that part of me that likes that challenge. There've been a couple of times in my play history where you know like for instance uh, this is a really good example house always wins if you're playing at second so you want to try and get peter clover yep you're going to need to get four per player clues and depending on player count if you're playing uh well, it changes now slightly with return but historically the easiest thing to do solo was to throw an ally which gets you two clues and to drink which gets you two clues then you don't have to gamble and you can move on yep So you need to be able to bait the pit boss off the whatever, it's the Clover Club Lounge, I think, so you can go in. You need an ally in your opening hand so you know you can chuck one. And then you need the two resources to drink. And that can get you through Act 1 so you can go and get the clues. And then you have to come back and then you need a way to resign somehow, either by evading or by tanking the hits to run with Peter or whatever it is. There are some other details obviously you need to think about, but that's a scenario where I've thought about it enough and planned it and strategized so that i can kind of crack it and i've sat down with people to play where i've said are we going to talk about this in terms of the challenge it poses rather than the story and they maybe said yes and i said right i think this is what we need to do to win this so yeah that i find that rewarding particularly when the plan comes together i love it when a good plan comes together (laughs) But then the one thing I've not mentioned is the the social aspect. And obviously there must be something in me that likes the socialising, given that I've organised a handful of events yeah.
1: now. And you run you a podcast that. for the community.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like talking to people about the game as well. So I I think a combination of of all of them, I think the thing that gets me most excited is opening a new pack, adding to the story as a as a writer, I love the story. So maybe slightly more daisy, but yeah. yeah. What about you, Peter? Well, Where do you.
1: I would say I love. Well, I mean, a good example is when I put together my Matteo Mateo deck for the Labyrinths, I knew I had to put in the Holy Rosary. And despite mm-hmm. it maybe not being the most. I think I took Relic Hunter and three different accessories. Mm. And I think it would have been better to have gone maybe without the Relic Hunter, maybe still that, but taken the. Four of Cups instead of the Rosary. Mm -hmm. But how can you take Mateo and not take the Holy Rosary? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that theme drives a lot of my deck. I find a a deck tilted towards the theme of the Investigator uh, more compelling than I do a one that's a purely optimized deck. Mm. There's certain... Like when I... I've I've long been a fan of lots of Knives and Zoe because I never felt the, the guns really fitted her character. Yeah. So yeah, it it was always a personal thing, and I just that's that's how I like to play with a slight a slight emphasis on theme. But that said, when like you, when I'm playing, I love that feeling of problem solving together as a group.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And some of my favourite scenarios have, have really pushed that, like undimensioned, and unseen. I remember the f- the first time we played that it really sticks out in my in my memory as as a really enjoyable Arkham experience. The four mm-hmm. of us just sitting looking at this board and trying to figure out. How the hell are we going to get rid of all these broods? You know, where the best place to move them to? And what the best use of the actions was? Mm, mm, the tools yeah. each each player brings to the table in terms of their investigator.
0: There's nothing that beats that feeling in Undimension Unseen of running around and seeing what clue options you have as well. Yeah. I've played it a few times. There's a few that don't have options to put clues on broods. And I love like tallying, right, we can the most clues we can put is eight. Based on the locations we have, so our combinations for broods, we could put three on one brood, three on another, and two on the last one. Yeah. Or we could do four and four, and they'd be two easy broods to kill, and then the last one would—it's going to be a hell mary attempt, you know. Or whatever it is, we're going to. We, this is this is how we need to. And work there's it like
1: out. a flow to that scenario, isn't it It's like yeah. I- at this yeah. moment, how hard is it to kill a brood? How how easy yes. more diff- slash more difficult we want to make it? How how better? How much better can we get at killing them by the end of the scenario? Mm. Mm,
0: yeah and it can turn you know you can suddenly you think you're in control and then uh, particularly with return to Undimension Unseen no spoilers but obviously there are new cards and that can really shake things up
1: so but but again I think that's a kind of that feeling is a combined Calvin Leo feeling isn't it it's because I I don't really play solo Mm, I really prefer playing with other people because I love those conversations Mm, so that's a combined Calvin Leo thing so again, probably a mixture of all three, but maybe with an emphasis on Leo and Daisy. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you're, you're a Calvin at the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something about Calvin. Calvin and the sheets, yeah. 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 Daisy in the streets. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, so appalling. I suppose you've hinted at it there already, but what appeals to you then about organised Arkham events? So, you know, obviously you can go and play with friends more or less whenever you want but what then makes you want to go and, and play with people you don't know like the labyrinth event you just did did you know everyone at the labyrinth event you just
1: did uh yes there was a there was an out of towner had come uh, who was in town for the festival ah cool from yeah. the mythos buster's discord and it was really nice to meet cool. them just they happened to be in town on the right day and they weren't going to be free but then they were free so it was that was fantastic to to meet them yeah it, I I would say it was running an event you can't normally run at a regular meeting just with a couple of people. So Mm. you don't often get 12 people together to play Labyrinths. And it just offers something a bit novel over playing Arkham. It's like that social Mm. interaction of trying to figure out what the other groups have got and how best to interact with them.
0: Yeah, it's making me think of the Brighton Arkham group which I know about because the, um, by the same token, one of them is based in Brighton. Oh, yeah. And he told me about this. And They normally have 16 players. And they so they normally have four campaigns running, often the same campaign across four tables. And they have someone who's a kind of campaign chair who's holding onto the campaign log and tracking experience and things like that. And then other players might end up moving tables. I don't think in a given session, but maybe... Every two sessions, they might switch players around or things like that. So you get to play with other
1: people. Even during the campaign, people are switching between the different groups. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. So you could
0: turn up and you were playing with, you know, a, a Roland and Ursula table. And then you move on to a different table and it's got Zoe and Norman as the seeker and the guardian. And you're... So you get to see other... Uh, investigators you get to play with other players you get that kind of so it's, I suppose it's to stop that feeling of like you four in a campaign group and you're not allowed to mingle with the other f- 12 players you get to kind of keep shaking things up
1: huh, that, that, you know what's interesting I mean it, it we're sort of straying off the topic here mm-hmm. but in, in my uh, meta or local area people have been yeah. talking about better development of drop in and drop out rules so yeah. players who have other commitments and can't necessarily make it every week you have a core who carry on the campaign and other mm-hmm. players who drop in and drop out. They're like a cameo slot, is what they say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have a, a spare spot on each in each campaign that someone else can drop into if they're yeah, just along for been... one week.
0: Yeah. That's one of the challenges of growing this game is that once you're at four players, you don't need any more players for a normal campaign. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've thought about it a bit in London as well, and I play in a three-player group and a four-player group and you know certainly for the four player group we don't need to tell anyone else we're playing because we don't want a fifth player to turn up <laughs> there's no space for them yeah and there's we're not a big enough group it's not like there are seven of us playing every time we play so there's always going to be a free space yeah that's that's a separate thing that's the kind of ongoing uh how you run an arkham group rather than individual events but yeah it's it's tricky it's tricky for me for an organized arkham event yeah i think i think seeing something that i wouldn't see otherwise or providing that opportunity is great and i know that other players have said that one of the things they like the most is seeing decks they wouldn't normally see yeah so your all cards they wouldn't normally see so i think just providing that space for people to come and express themselves i think is quite important i know that sounded a bit wishy-washy but no, the no, idea I, that you I think
1: can what you said there is is a very good point and i think for a lot of players, it's easy to forget. Uh, so players in a group, I don't know what the proportions are. We should do a big survey one day. Mm. It's easy to forget that the way you play isn't the way everyone else plays.
0: And yeah. Yeah.
1: you and I, we have regular groups. Actually, we both come from a card gaming background where we met up regularly with other players and played them. You know, it was a competitive game that we were swapping between players and there was a big group of a large pool of people to play with. A lot of people play this game at their kitchen table with a partner, with a with a child, with a with a close friend or a couple of close friends, and that's it. And that's the only way they play. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we had a lot of people come to Arkham and Flames saying, I've never played more than two player before. So the first time I've ever sat in a group of four. Which yeah. was which was mind boggling you- to me. I was like, how have you played this game and not played four player before? You might not even know that you're a Leo in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> you might not realise
0: that you're a social player because you've played in in a way that, you know, this is the game you play with your partner. And Why would you need to go out and play it in a pub somewhere or in a game shop somewhere when you can play it by yourself or with your partner? Yeah. Just providing that space, I think, is, yeah, super important. And I think in terms of what we did at Arkham and Flames this year, aware that I've, said some of this stuff before but that idea of just wanting to provide enough different events for people so that people could say well i don't want to do that or this you know there was a lot of labyrinths going on because it was a great opportunity for people to play labyrinths but then there was certainly on the second day there were a lot of people just pulling out their favorite scenario and assembling teams in a fairly ad hoc way the last thing i played was threads of fate there was a space at a table and they needed a seeker so i threw together a seeker deck and join them yeah so you know that's that's a possibility that you can just throw down. I think that slightly less organised or slightly more spontaneous Arkham can be really enjoyable yeah. as long as people aren't being left out.
1: And I think the way to do that in the future would be to, to offer sign up sheets. Yeah, and say yeah. you know what what you're playing, how many players do you need? Chuck this sheet up either end of the first day or beginning of the second day. Sign up for what you want, and then and then away you go.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's an and there's another challenge here, which is that scenarios take different lengths of time as well. Yeah, you know, you settle in to play Guardians of the Abyss. Now I can play it fairly quickly because I've done my little Guardians of the Abyss summer project. But before it, they're long scenarios. Yes, yeah, you know? absolutely, Eternal yeah. Airport, <laughs> and then we, we, a beefy scenarios with a lot of decision
1: points, a lot of planning goes into them. When we did Depths of Yoth at, uh, at the, the expo, <laughs> I think we'd. We'd planned for people to start up to two o'clock in the afternoon, but mm-hmm. everyone started by when was this ten thirty? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. And I'd, oh, well, there's one group that started at eleven. Yeah. yeah, and it was it's it was it's four hours long. That mm-hmm. so I'm kind of glad no one started at two o'clock in the afternoon because we'd have to be. We should have hours. known
0: because I played it the night before and sat down to play at seven and finished at eleven. Yeah. <laughs> so. What was meant to be like fun, chilling, playing Arkham the night before turned into this uh, epic, epic, yeah, and sort of brain melting session. I think I went straight to bed afterwards, I was exhausted. You were playing all sorts of fun games, yeah. I was having a great table. time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what that highways of t- Tokyo Highway, yeah, yeah, that's great fun, gorgeous. And I was, I was just like, oh, my head, <laughs> yeah. very satisfyingly, but yeah, hard work.
1: So, so I guess. This is all very interesting. What what does it mean? Are we going to use this next time we plan Mm, an Arkham event? I think we've got a good framework now to try and plan different events. And rather than trying to make every event appeal to everyone, we have some tailored events. We do as many events, but they're tailored towards individual types of player. So hopefully, you know, there's something that appeals to everyone at the event.
0: Yeah, and that means say we wanted to do a beginner-friendly event, we could think about focusing on the narrative aspects, think about getting players involved in the intellectual challenges of the game, and you know maybe touching on these three separate things that they might find rewarding: the Calvin style stuff, the Daisy style stuff, and the Lear style stuff, but not just assuming that everyone gets all of that. Yeah you know and and a new player might not realize that there's a whole social element to the game should they want to engage in that and that you know they can they can have a fun time not really worrying too much about whether or not they win scenarios but about yeah meeting new people and things like that yeah i think i think they're useful as touchstones but i think the the other thing is we'd like you the listener to let us know what you think is there a thing that we've missed here or is there a way that you would define yourself as a player that you think is different from this or something that you really want in events that we've not mentioned here. Because yes. there's always the possibility. I mean,
1: to an extent, we've only got a self-selecting group of players, the type of players who already come to events to base our experience mm-hmm. off. So if you're an open yeah. player who who hasn't come to an event because they think it isn't for them or what the event is doing doesn't appeal to them, you're the kind of person we'd mm-hmm. love to hear from. And for you to tell us why you don't come to events and what kind of way you like to play the game. Maybe you're just a dedicated solo player. Yeah. I mean, we've spoken to people who play the game to unwind in the evening. Mm, yeah. the You know, their partner has an iPad that they, re- they relax on and they play yeah, um, Arkham. Yeah. I mean,
0: to be fair, that's slightly what my holiday looked like at certain times. I was sitting at the table of the little place we were at You know, moving these little pieces of cardboard around, and Andrea was sitting just across from me reading a book. And, you know, every so often we chat to each other, or we get another drink, or whatever, and then keep playing. We're in the same space. He'd call you a big nerd. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'd say, look who's talking, bookworm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe we should add a fourth category, which I'm going to call the Agnes. It's the player who has a secret power that they're trying to keep. A low profile about and hide. Or was it not the Diana? And it could be the, the, the Diana terrible tea. secret. <laughs> Diana with a terrible secret. I've felt more that the Agnes, that they could be an amazing social player, but they've decided to masquerade as a waitress <laughs> and hide their hobby. Yeah. Either you can you can self select, listener, if you're a person who'd never go to an event, you're a Diana or an Agnes. And yeah, I would love love to hear from you. What you think events are missing, or what more you'd like to get out of the game, I suppose, and how events could offer that.
1: And if you're a die-hard, if, if you think you fit in one of those categories, and you're a die-hard, you're a die-hard Leo or or, or whatever, um, or a die-hard Daisy, you know, we'd also love to hear from you as well. What what you, what would really get your your heart pumping at, a, at an Arkham yeah. event? What what's, what would be your dream? Yeah, what's going to make yeah. you salivate?
0: Wow! Yeah. Some kind of buffet laid on <laughs> next to the cards, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How does um just a side small small question, where does the idea of planning who you're going to play and maybe having restrictions. You remember when I did random labyrinths where everyone got assigned a random investigator and then we made teams. Is that, does that all fit into the Leo category of like liking interacting before? Or is it sort of Leo Calvin? I think it's it's, it's Leo
1: Calvin, isn't it? Because it's, it's a teamwork and a coordination and speaking to other players, but it's also an element Mm. of optimization there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Optimization. That's a good Calvin word. Yeah, that I mean that's something I'd like to do more but just because that scratches an itch for me I like the idea of being given a you have to play this investigated what
1: you So do? W- when we organise events so I, I'm doing it uh, I'm running a Labyrinths of Lunacy on behalf of Tabletop Scotland and I've messaged some of the players <clears throat> and usually you leave yourself CC'd into the emails and you can tell the, the Leos they're just like waiting to burst out <laughs> And like, they're <laughs> yeah, suddenly like, yeah. right, okay. What you all do? Should you do this? I think I should do this. And they'll send like a big email with all the details on there. And that's like a real like you unlock the Leo at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the way they yeah. run sending massive emails about what everyone should take.
0: Mm, mm, yeah. And I mean, I thought in the past, I thought for Alchemy Flames, would it be nice to have some sort of a message board or place for people to do that planning en mass? Because certainly for bigger events. You know, you can do it all by email, but people might like just the place they can check in and go, here are my thoughts. Or, you know, a little bit like you said with the sign-up sheet, if there's also an online place where people are saying, on on this day I'll be playing this event, who wants to join in? And then you can chat about that, planning it. Yeah, that could be cool. Um, I'm also doing an event, hopefully soon, for Tabletop Gaming Live in, in London, in Alexandra Palace, in September, I think. But my one is far less organized than your one your one's quite soon
1: okay? yes it's the august bank holiday weekend and yeah. that's at tabletop cool. scotland in perth but they've so tabletop scotland have just they just want to do the one labyrinth so that's 12 players uh, and it's it's sold out um, sold out pretty quickly i think mm. but if it's a success i'm sure it's something they'd look at doing again and hopefully if we've got a scenario like the vlob available next year we don't have to do mm. like a limitation on numbers. It's easier just to do any number. So we could say, you know, up to 30 players yeah. rather than having to yeah. worry about a break point every 12 players.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Blob really responds well to that problem with labyrinths. So yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: No, I don't think so. I Just I'd repeat, it would be lovely to hear from people with their their mm. opinions and their, their their experience on this. And the way that you can get in touch, you can email us.
0: We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. Always really grateful for the emails we receive. We're on Facebook as drawn to the flame and Twitter as drawn to the flame. We also have a Patreon that's www.patreon.com forward slash drawn to the flame. And if instead of speaking to us, you want to buy some of our merchandise, we're on designed by humans, you can get a fetching drawn to the flame t-shirt or mug. be great. Uh, Peter, How can people get in touch with you?
1: I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, Reddit. I'm on the Discord. So say hello. How about you, Frank?
0: I'm on Twitter as FB. That's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. And I'm around the place as Zooey Glass or Zozo. And we have a little shout out. Yeah. So a belated very happy birthday to Chris. Uh, We were meant to say this near the 1st of August, but schedules didn't quite work. But still, happy birthday from both of us at Drawn to the Flame. And we've been asked to tell you how much Jenny Barnes loves (laughs) you.
1: Remember, if you want us to do birthday wishes, we can't return your cards.
0: (laughs) Great. Well, thanks very much for listening.
1: Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Within his banquet hall reclined Daniel Cater, the king, drunken with ancient wine from the vaults of conquered Pnath and surrounded by feasting nobles and hurrying slaves. There were eaten many strange delicacies at that feast. Peacocks from the Isles of Nariel in the Middle Ocean, young goats from the distant hills of Implan, heels of camels from the Benazic Desert, nuts and spices from Sidathrian groves and pearls from wave-washed m'tal dissolved in the vinegar of Thra.
0: Mm, wave-washed and tall.
1: The so <laughs> beast of what is it in Monty Python? The castle of Ah. <laughs> Was he saying it? Well, why would he write it?
0: <laughs> Men whose eyes were wild with fear shrieked aloud at the sight within the king's banquet hall, where through the windows were seen no longer the forms of Derek Marcy and his nobles and slaves, but a horde. Of indescribable green, voiceless things with bulging eyes, pouting, flabby lips and curious ears. Things which danced horribly, bearing in their paws golden platters set with rubies and diamonds, containing uncouth flames. Uncouth flames? He's just, he's off on one, isn't he? He's having a proper banger.